Shannon Polk, thank you so much for coming today, that I want to let you know a little bit about her and why I invited her. That she has a Juris Doctor degree from Western Michigan University, the, the law school, go Eagles, EMU. <laughs> she has a Doctor of Ministry degree from Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. She also has a, a bachelor's from some random school in the middle of the state that likes to call her green, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> She's an associate pastor at Riverside Tabernacle in Flint. She has served in many capacities with many nonprofits and multiple different roles. She was invited to our general council to speak at a session for women in ministry, and none of those reasons are why I invited her to come today. The reason I invited her to come today is this, is that when the Holy Spirit drops something on your heart, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Back in district council in May, I just felt like impressed that uh, Shannon and I, we didn't know each other then. We only recently became Facebook friends and started to get to know each other. But I felt in district council, you need to invite her to come to the church. And I didn't get any time people or anything, and the thought was there, and then it left. And then late August, I felt, now is the time that you need to invite her. So I invited her, she said yes. She actually picked the first parable in this series, so she got first pick at this. Uh, but this is the reason I invite her, not because of her accolades, not because of her education, not because she is an amazing minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but because the Holy Spirit said, you need to invite her. I believe she has a word for us today that is ordained from God. So, Dr. Shannon Polk, would you come and bring God's word this morning? Lots of things I know. How to turn on microphones is not one of them. <laughs> so thank you for that. So Scott already told you a little bit about me. I'm from Flint. I'm a Spartan, so I'm really happy today. <laughs> um, but I'm also somebody who's been an outsider. You didn't always fit. And that's really important for what we're going to talk about today. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you've been in church at least three days, you know this one. You know it inside and out. You've heard it. I may not offer you anything new, but what I am going to do is tell you this. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. See, oftentimes as Christians, we read the Bible and we think, oh, that part's nice, I'm going to do that one. We treat it the way I treat a Nordstrom's catalog. I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like that. It's okay, you don't have to say it again, I'm leaving. Um, so, here's the thing. That's not the way we're supposed to read the Bible. When we read the Bible, we're supposed to look and say yes. Yes. Ouch. Help me, Lord. But yes. God isn't interested in you staying the same. He's interested in you changing. He's interested in you growing. And unfortunately, in our Western church, we do a lot of things to make people feel comfortable. God is not about your comfort. He is about your change. So, look at your neighbor. I'm one of those preachers. I don't know if you warned you. I'm a preacher. I'm not really a teacher. I'm a preacher. I grew up in the black church. I believe in amens, hallelujahs. I'm Pentecostal, okay? So y'all work with me. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Look at your other neighbor, the one that you didn't pick first, and tell them, you don't have a choice. I'll be your neighbor you don't have a choice. Nobody gets left out. Now, here's the thing. I have a friend. She's a wonderful, one of those people that you know that dresses immaculately, hair is always done, nails always done. I hate to stand next to her because I never do my nails and I really care less about my hair. And so she was packing to go to San Diego. 
And as she's packing, she's putting all the right things in, she's making sure she's got all the right outfits, and then she looks at the weather report, and she realizes it's gonna be 70 degrees during the day and 50 degrees at night. So now she's gotta pack more things. So she started putting more in. I know that none of you have ever packed like that, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so she gets to the airport, and she's got this bag, and it's filled to the gills, and she knows what's about to happen. They're gonna charge her a fee for overpacking. So she gets there, she puts it up, and the clerk behind her looks at her and smiles and says to her, one moment. She goes and she puts a heavy bag tag on it, puts it on there. She doesn't charge her anything extra. She said, no, you have a great flight. Now, she showed her mercy. That's what she did. She showed her mercy. She didn't have to. Wasn't part of her job requirement. Nothing was going to be different. Kim was supposed to pay extra. She had overpacked. But she decided, that clerk decided to show mercy. It was in her power to show mercy. Now here's the thing. When is it in your power to show mercy? Do you do that? When you have the opportunity to show kindness to a stranger that you don't know, that you may never come into contact with again, do you do that? The Bible in Micah 6, 8 says, act justly. Oh, great. Oh, it's right there. Good. Okay. Oh, mortal, what, is the, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, some of you will say that's Old Testament. I'm going to tell you, God still requires that of us. That's right. Mm -hmm. It does not change. Yeah. So, in case you were wondering, let's go over to the New Testament. I believe it happens several witnesses to what I shared. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, 43 through 44. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let's stop here for a second. It's easy to love my daughter. She looks just like my husband, and she acts just like me. <laughs> it's easy to love her. When she does things, I know exactly where she got it from. I know exactly why she did that. It's harder to love your child that stepped on my foot. It's harder to love somebody who parked too close to my door, and now I can't get out of my car in the parking lot. It's harder to love the person that I'm not in a relationship with. But God didn't ask me to love a person I like. He didn't even ask me just to love a stranger. Can you put it back up? Let's read it one more time. Love your enemy. Now, when I said the word enemy, many of you had someone in mind. They might be on your job. They might go to this church. I won't call you out that way. <laughs> but you had a situation in your mind. And I want you to understand, that person that bullied you in high school, love them. That person on your job who's making things difficult even though you're working remotely, love them. Turn to your neighbor again and say, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. All right, I know you didn't believe that. Let's go to Luke. I am an attorney and I believe in having lots of evidence. Luke 
6, 27 says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. My parents were born in the Deep South, one in Mississippi and one in Tennessee. My father was never allowed to go down south because my grandmother was afraid that he would wind up getting lynched or beaten like Emmett Till. My mother remembers going down south and seeing the signs that said for color only. Not my grandmother, not my great-grandmother, but my mother and my father told me their story of what it meant to be black in this country. My father was drafted in the Vietnam War and he served honorably. How many of you, when you look at those pictures from the Civil Rights Movement, understand that what compelled them do good to those who hate you? So that when they were being spat at, when dogs were being sick on them, they could stand. Because they said, we have something stronger than hate, and it's love. We have something that compels us, not because it's trendy, not because it's something we were told to do on social media, but God said it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Luke 6 and 35 says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Anything. That means I don't expect to give the wave when I let you in, in the middle of traffic. That's right. <laughs> that means that when I do that favor for you in the office, even if you never do it back, even if you don't take my shift when I ask you. Even though I've watched your kid, and when it's time for you to return the favor, you don't, I'm not expecting you to. Because I'm not trying to do it to get something back. I'm doing it because I'm commanded to do good. And not just to the person I like, but to the person that hates me. I'll tell you what I told our church a couple Sundays back. I'm an attorney, so I'm very familiar with the Bill of Rights. We don't have that in the Bible. I'll say it again. I'll say it again. We don't have a Bill of Rights in the Bible. You have a set of commandments. It's not about what you want to do. It's about what he told you to do. So, here's what we'd rather do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the household of faith. So you're AG, I'm AG, I want to help you. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, I want to help you. You're part of the household of faith. We love that part. You pray like I pray. You worship like I worship. 
I want to do good to you. But we can't negate the first part of that. Let us do good to how many people? recently. It was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me. I couldn't remember how to multiply fractions or any of that stuff I did when I was 16 in high school. <laughs> but I can still do the English section pretty well and all still be gone. This is the Detroit area, so I'm going to break it down for you. That means the east side of Detroit. That means the area that my mom used to call Cat's Corridor when she was a student at Mercy. That means my Muslim neighbor. Let's talk about Dearborn. That's my humanist neighbor. I'm out here now, I should go ahead and say, that's my gay neighbor. That's the doctor in my neighborhood that facilitates abortion. Yeah, let's go there. Okay. I like the way y'all looking at me. I feel that right at home. Okay. <laughs> he just said, he just said you had to like them. He told you you had to do good. Yeah. He didn't say you had to like their behavior. He said you had to do good. He didn't say you had to agree with them. He said you had to do good to them. You're mad because somebody's wearing a mask. You're mad because they made you put one on. You're mad because not enough people are wearing masks. You're mad because your neighbor voted for Biden. You're mad because your neighbor voted for Trump. You're mad because they're talking about CRT. You're mad because they're not talking about it. Let us do good to all people. God is not concerned about your preferences. He's concerned about your obedience. This is not a choice. It is a commandment. It is a commandment. So the next time you see somebody who's in your chosen group, I need you to ask yourself, am I sticking with the Bible? Or am I doing what my favorite news program told me to do? Am I doing what the word says? Or am I doing what makes me feel comfortable? Yeah. Well, it gets worse than this, pace yourself. Okay, <laughs> now let's get to the parable. Let's go to Luke. I told you we're going to the Good Samaritan. I just thought I'd read the early. Because see, if I give you just one story, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. But we just laid a foundation of what it is we're supposed to do. So now let's get into it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in law, he replied. How do you read it? How do you read it? 
I love that purple cross right here. You see, the Bible is read through our interpretation and our experiences. No one comes to the Bible with a blank slate. You bring what your Sunday school teacher taught you. You bring what happened in the lunchroom. You bring what happened to you as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. And all of that impacts how you see the scripture. So when you read the scripture, I would encourage you to say this. God removed everything from my eyes that's a blinder to your truth. Because we all have the blind spots. And we know we do because this is what he said. He said the Lord asked him, how do you read? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, mm -hmm, you answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Next slide. But he wanted to justify himself. I need to justify why I'm about to exclude somebody from who I'm going to do good to. I need to justify why I'm about to ignore this person over here. There has to be a reason, there has to be an excuse, there has to be something I can hold up and say, I don't have to treat that person well. So he asked Jesus, as most attorneys would, where's my loophole? How do I get out of this contract? Who is my neighbor? And in reply, because this is what Jesus always did, and this is what I do, I tell the story. Because sometimes telling you straightly isn't always the best way, so let's tell a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down by the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came but saw him, passed by on the other side. Next slide. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured oil on him and wine, and then he put the man on his own dog, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after me, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Next slide. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. So, who were the Samaritans? Let's set the stage. They were despised. The Jewish community hated them. They had no dealings with them. They were considered filthy dogs. So much so, when you look at that verse, what you notice that he didn't even say the word Samaritan. He wouldn't even let it pass his lips. They were considered heathens. Now, the priests and Levi were holy men who had dedicated their lives to God. They were in service in the temple of the Most High. They went in and served on behalf and made intercession on behalf of the people. They were in close communion with God. At least one would think so because of their actions and their vocation. <laughs> you see, there are some people, they look good, 
but they only do good. So, what do we see here? We see two men, a priest and a Levite, who didn't stop. They didn't get bothered. They didn't get their hands dirty. I was reading a news article in the LA Times and it talked about all of the poverty that was all across California. And they sent a human envoy to come and take a look at what was happening in the US related to poverty. And the envoy said what he noticed was the violence of turning away. He said it wasn't just they didn't see it, he said you could almost see an intentional thing. He said, but it was violent because of the way that they did it, the fact that they wouldn't even look to see the people laying on the ground in cardboard boxes. They wouldn't even look at the people who were supporting. They didn't want to be reminded that in this country of great wealth and great opportunities, there are still people that are falling in the cracks. Why do people turn away? Because they say, it's not my problem. That has nothing to do with me. Now, some people say that the priest and Levite turned away because of the law, because if you were to touch someone that was unclean, it would make you unclean. Some would say, you know what, it's really time. They were busy. They were on their way to do some things, and maybe they just didn't have time. Right? We say that sometimes. I'm not going to get to this situation, this person, because I'm really busy. I'm in the middle of something. Maybe they just didn't want to be inconvenienced. Maybe they had bias. Because we all do. Maybe they thought he got himself in that situation, he should have been more prepared. Or maybe they thought, I don't want to mess up my reputation being seen in that kind of situation. And involved with that kind of person. My grandfather was a pastor of the Church of God in Christ. And my grandmother was what they call a church mother. And one day her car broke down in front of a strip club. Now, there she is, no makeup, long skirt, and she walked in the snow, several blocks, until she got to what she considered to be a reputable store, where she could make a phone call to call my grandfather to come get her. My grandfather wasn't there, and she called. She had 12 kids, so she had people she could call. So she kept calling, and then she got to number three, so she wound up talking to my mother, her son's wife. And my mom said, Mother, why did you stop? You're right, you're right there. And she said, I couldn't go in that place. My mother said to her, did you ever think that God had your car stopped there? Mm -hmm. That there was somebody inside that needed someone who knew the Lord, who could break them out of where they were. But she was concerned. I'm a pastor's wife. I can't be seen going in that place. She was old school Pentecostal. Come ye out from among them and be separate. We don't know why they didn't stop. All we know is that their behavior was contrary to what God wanted them to do. Now, what do we know about this Samaritan? 
What do we see about him in the scripture? First thing we notice about him, he had vision because he saw him. He wasn't oblivious to what was going on in his community. He was aware, his eyes were open. We also see that he had compassion. It said he felt pity. He didn't judge him. He didn't blame him for where he was. And he didn't provide excuses as to why he didn't need to get involved. The third thing he did was he went to him. He didn't say, well, when you get yourself together and you come to me, then I'll help you. No, he went to him. He saw the need, he had compassion, and then he went to him. He didn't expect him to do anything other than receive. He got in the mess with him. The fourth thing we see is that he bandaged his wounds. I think this is interesting because Luke was a physician, so he paid attention to what happened medically. And what did he do? He took the time to see where he was bleeding and where he was broken. When have you looked to see where your neighbor is bleeding and broken? When have you looked to see where there's someone in your midst who has been victimized and who needs your attention? He placed him on his donkey. That means the rest of the journey he walked while someone else was carried. Whose burdens are you willing to carry? And then he brought him to an end. He took him to a place of safety. He stayed with him until he was sure he was going to be okay. But that was not enough. What did he do? The last thing we see him doing is he paid for his care and his lodging. Didn't expect anything in return. But he came out of his own pocket. And he said, if this is not enough to be a keeper, then when I come back in a couple days, I'll make up the difference. We see compassion, we see vision, we see action, we see generosity, and we see patience. We also see a good name. How many of you have folks that would trust you to come back and pay him later. He had that kind of reputation that the innkeeper knew he was a man of his word. So, who are we in this story? We're the lawyer. We're asking the question, who is our neighbor, Lord? Who are we supposed to do good to? Who are we supposed to extend ourselves to? Because our natural inclination as human beings is to take care of those that are like us, those that are in proximity to us, those that are in relationship to us, those that look like us, those that sound like us, those that eat like us, because that's who we're comfortable around. If I asked you right now to think about your friend group, the three to five people that you spend the most time with, studies have shown that they will be your same age, your same race, your same gender, and your same class. It's our inclination as human beings to look for loopholes. But God is not asking us to just follow the letter of the law, but he wants us to follow the spirit of the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as he's called us to follow his Holy Spirit. 
He wants us to get into the ditch. He wants us to go and find those that are hurting because they are our neighbor. You see, he starts off by saying, yes, you gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, because you can't love anybody else until you've done that first. But we are required to show mercy. We are required to take action. It's not just enough to give an offering to role mission. Mm -hmm. It's not just enough to give an offering to home missions. It's looking for the neighbor around us. It's as simple as Mr. Rogers. Who are the people in your neighborhood? The people that you meet when you're walking down the street? The people that you see each day. Now, Warren Wearsby said it like this. I thought this was a great quote. You see, to the thieves, this Jew was a victim to exploit, so they attacked him. To the priests and the Levite, he was a nuisance to avoid, so they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to love and help, so he took care of him. Who? is still trying to justify their behavior? Who is still trying to figure out who they can exclude? We're simply asked to show mercy. We're simply asked and invited by God on a journey to show and extend compassion. You can say no to that invitation. You can refuse it. But if you desire to be an honest, transparent, loyal, and obedient follower of God, then you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. So what is your philosophy? Is it like the robbers? What's yours is ours and I'll take it? Is it like the priest and Levite? What's ours is ours and we'll keep it? Or are you the Samaritan who says, what's mine is yours and I'll share it? We live in a very divided time. People want to say with their own kind, whatever that may mean. If you have struggled with loving your neighbor, I want to invite you. Oh, I'm closing you can stand. I want to invite you to come to the altar. I'm an old school Pentecostal, I believe in the altar. I'd like to invite you to come to the altar and give that to God. We all have biases. We all have prejudices. We all have things that we would rather not do. 
But if you're going to follow Jesus, when it comes to the commandment of loving your neighbor, you don't have a choice. We're approaching the holiday season. Some of you all are going to have to sit across somebody from Thanksgiving who's going to work your last nerve, who's going to say the thing that you don't want to hear. They're going to have the conversation that you don't want to be involved in. But God is asking you to love them anyway. He's saying, it's time. It's time. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Loving those that are different from us, that's a challenge. But you said do it anyway. Showing the grace and mercy and compassion on people we disagree with and that we think are completely wrong, that's hard. But you told us to love them anyway. To be good to people who have misused us and mistreated us and abused us, God. That's not anything we can do in our natural strength. But you told us to do it So, Father, I just ask that for everyone in here who is wrestling with who they have to love, who is wrestling with who their neighbor is, God, I pray you would touch their heart, that you would fill them with compassion, that you would show them where they've been in error, God, and that they would repent, and that they would see with fresh eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to them even in the night hour. And that you would touch their heart. God, you're looking for a united church. You're looking for a church that takes action. You're looking for a church that doesn't want to just look good, but is good. Because you are good. And we want to be like you. You see, Jesus modeled this for us when he went to the leper and he touched him. Behold, who are you supposed to be touching? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your revelation, for your insight. Now, God, as we leave this place, we do not leave your presence. I pray that you would go with us throughout the week, that you would strengthen us. Lord, we honor.